Good morning. What a, what a privilege it is to be here with Sharon United Methodist Church. And uh, I want us to, to look at the scripture lesson from Colossians, the first chapter of Colossians, um, just as the backdrop for our worship today, where Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He might have, this, he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul concludes that chapter by saying, for this reason I became a minister, or I became a servant, so that we might present everyone mature unto Christ. Thank you for inviting me here today as a part of the journey that Sharon United Methodist Church is on as you move from the place that Sharon has worshipped for a number of years and as your future begins to unfold. And what I've discovered about the opportunity to come and be a part of worship with different congregations is that many people don't know what the bishop even does. What the bishop does is that the bishop travels the area to which uh, he or she has been assigned preaching and teaching the faith of Jesus Christ. And then they convene the churches for mission and ministry that no individual church could do by itself, like the development of our retirement homes, our colleges, our universities, our camping ministry. And then United Methodist ministers, through our long Methodist tradition, ask the bishops to ordain the clergy and then we send them off to where we feel like they can best serve. We don't wait for the church to call Peter, Paul, James, or John, or Ruth, or Naomi, and say, that's the minister we want. Like the chapter, 13th chapter of Acts, after worshiping and praying, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. Or as Paul said to Titus, I've left you behind that you might appoint the elders in every city. And we use that biblical model as we appoint our, our clergy. You have a wonderful clergy team here in Kyle and Nancy and their spouses, Bill and Laura. And uh, I know that when the, the clergy first come to a church, we often hear how glad we are that you're with us. But uh, after about a year, you have to do the hard work. And so you've been engaged in some very difficult and complex work in this journey. And I'd like us to just express some appreciation and love to Nancy and to Kyle for their work. Thank you so much. That is great. That is great. As I thought about coming to be a part of the worship service this morning, I, I thought about the journey that you're on, and I looked at my files, and I saw this poem that does not have an author. It's an anonymous poem, but I've had it in my files for a long time. And uh, as I reflected on this, I thought that I might share this brief poem with you that starts off by saying, As the covered wagon rolled and pitched along the prairie track. One sat looking forward and one sat looking back. One saw the bright horizon of a bright and better day and the other saw the disappointing road as it too slipped away. 
As the covered wagon rolled and pitched along the prairie track, one sat looking forward and one sat looking back. Now, I know that we need to look back and we should look back on the history of this congregation because we stand on the shoulders of some people that have gone before us to prepare this moment for us. The intent of the poem is just to remind us that we can't only look back, we need to look forward. I look back in my own ministry and I can see the hand of God in my life at several key moments that shaped my life and moved me to the point at which I serve the church today. What's more difficult is for me to recognize the hand of the unseen loving mystery of God in this moment that is preparing us for the future. And because it's difficult to see the future, it's easier to look back. But some sat looking forward while some sat looking back. We can't just look back. We have to look forward. Now, when I was in um, Elon, North Carolina, serving a church, we'd have all the children that would gather around us uh, for worship. And I would try to give the children an idea of what we were going to be focused on for worship by sharing a key word with them. Well, the sermon that Sunday was on sovereignty. And you know, little children, they can't understand the word sovereignty. So as the children gather around me, I said to them, uh, so do you know what it means to be in charge? And uh, Jay Bubba, really that was his nickname. <laughs> Jay Bubba said, in my house, my daddy's in charge. And that was kind of the reaction of my congregation. And then with perfect time, and he said, but my mama's the boss. <laughs> well, I said, I don't know what Jay Bubb is doing today, but he's probably planning to run for the governor of North Carolina because <laughs> he knows what it's like to walk with one foot in his daddy's world and one foot in his mama's world. And that's exactly where Sharon United Methodist Church is today. We walk with one foot in the world of holiness, singing adoration, praise, thanksgiving, giving ourselves in worship. And then we step into a world in which people are broken, distressed, worried, fearful, uncertain. And as we step into that world, we ask, is there a word of the living God, that unseen mystery that has provided the providence over our past that will provide providence over the future? Now, my grandchildren love me the most. Uh, they really do. Their mom can be right there, and I can tell the way they look at me. For those of you who are grandfathers, this is good news. But uh, when my grandchildren come to see me, they love this big, thick pastel chalk. Have you ever seen that? comes in different colors. And I know this is simplistic, but if we could take a piece of thread and tie it around a piece of that chalk and lower it into a large jar of ink, you know, and I know, the longer it's in the ink, the ink when you pull the chalk up and pop it open, has saturated to the very center of that chalk. Now, this is what the church has reminded us is like when we bathe ourselves, when we saturate ourselves, when we soak ourselves in the presence of God in the means of grace which are prayer, scripture, worship, sacraments, small covenant groups where we watch over one another in love. And the longer we bathe ourselves in the means of grace that I just mentioned, the more likely we are to practice the means of mercy, inward holiness and outward compassion, personal holiness and social holiness as we move out of the places of worship back into a world of uncertainty, fear, depression, and despair.
And as that rhythm gets created in my life as an individual, I began to take on the shape of the mind of Christ. As Paul said, give us the mind of Christ. Let us be shaped in the image of Christ. And the same is true for a congregation. As the congregation practices prayer and scripture, worship sacrament, not just coming occasionally, but reading the scripture as often as we can, being bathed in it, coming to worship as often as it's offered, being soaked in it. So we take on that rhythm of being bathed and serving the world and we take on the image of Christ. And this is what it looks like for a congregation. Some of you may have been to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and you might have visited Christ United Methodist Church there. Uh, Dick Wills was assigned as the pastor of that church. At one point, that had been a great church, a strong church, but over the years, it had been slowly, slowly, slowly declining. And by that, I mean that if you looked at all the people in worship today and compared it to a year ago, the numbers would be about the same, only a few less today than they were last year. And if you look at the people in small groups and Sunday school classes, about the same number as last year, only a few less today than a year ago. And that church, after a 10-year period of time, realized that they were in trouble. That's the point at which Dick Wills was assigned by his bishop to be the uh, pastor of that congregation. And within a short period of time, as Dick Wills immersed his congregation in the means of grace, prayer, scripture, worship, but particularly small groups where they could watch over one another in love and grow in personal holiness and decide how they would practice compassion in the community. The church began to make the turn and somebody said to Dick Wills, Dick, when did you notice that that congregation, your church made the turn? And Dick Wills said, our church made the turn when we stopped praying Are you listening to me? When we stopped praying, Lord, bless our Sunday school class, bless our disciple Bible study, bless our Stephen ministry, bless us, bless us, bless us. And instead we began to pray, Lord, help us to bless those whom you are blessing. You hear the distinction? There's a difference between being in the world trying to serve God When I'm in the world trying to serve God, I want to know, do I have enough money to take out the mortgage? Uh, Is this the right time to do it? Does this fit my calendar? Can I give up the time on my schedule to give to this ministry? I'm in the world trying to serve God as opposed to being bathed and saturated. I'm in God serving the world, believing that God will provide the resources and God will direct the future just as God has protected the past. And I find my joy in that full surrender of God. This is why Paul says at the end of the first chapter, we follow the visible image of the invisible God, the one through whom all things were created, the one through whom all things are held together, the one who is reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. And then Paul says at the end of the first chapter, this is why we became servants. This is why we became ministers, to admonish everyone, to teach everyone, to present everyone as mature before God. And the word everyone means everyone. The word all means all, to present all mature before Christ. 
When I go home to the Washington, D.C. area, Janet and I grew up in Washington, D.C. We're Washingtonians born and raised in the District of Columbia. My sisters have moved out of the district, and when we go home to visit them, the landscape has changed. There's this huge mosque now where the Muslim community worships, a reminder that the community is changing in many, many ways. I went to the bank, and the, the banker that helped me uh, is from the Philippines. And I had my car serviced uh, uh, last month, and the fellow that helped me with my car was from Pakistan. We live in a multicultural, multi-religious, multi-social world where the morality and ethics of other groups is not the same as that of the church. And yet this is the world we live in. And the message of Paul that all things were created by Christ through whom all things are held together. And this is why we labor. And this is why we toil. This is why we work. That's at the end of that scripture passage is a reminder that just as the early church stepped into the first century world, which was multicultural, the morality of Rome and the bathhouses of Rome would never have been accepted in Jerusalem. A multi-religious, a multicultural, a multi-social world, and yet the early church took the power of the resurrection and pulled, invited, wooed people into the very presence of Jesus to know the one through whom all things are held together, the visible image of the invisible God. And so if that's how it works in the life of the church, here's how it works in the life of an individual. I was serving a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. They were going through a major building program, building a new sanctuary and new facilities. Nothing as complex as what your dream big of South Park is. You're in a much more complex situation than I was. But uh, a man came into the church, and during the economic times when the economy turns down and people don't have enough resources to figure out if they got enough money to have an, uh, enough for meals for the day, this man came into the church and he scared me. Uh, the first thought that went through my mind is I'm the only one in the church building. There's nobody else here but me. And I could tell immediately he'd been sleeping in his car on the streets. And because he looked so frightening, when he told me he needed money, I gave him everything I had and everything I could find. I even took him down to the kitchen and opened up the freezer and gave him every popsicle that was in the freezer. If he needed it, he had it. And over the course of time, because I helped him, and pastors know this, particularly in large cities, people come in off the streets because they see that the church is there and they ask for help. And over the course of about four years, I learned this man's name was Frank. He was estranged from his father. They didn't even speak to one another. Uh, Frank didn't have the people skills that he could even hold a job. You could offer him a job, but even if you gave him a job, he couldn't hold it because he didn't have the dependability or the people skills to keep a job. So he was always in need of want. And one Sunday... As we were concluding worship, a family that had been in the Elon church had come to Raleigh and wanted to take my wife and I out to lunch and to spend some time with us. So they go on ahead of, uh, ahead of me to save a seat for me. And as I'm locking up the church, I see Frank get up out of his old beat up rusty car and I begin to pray, please, Lord, not today. I cannot deal with Frank today. I don't want to talk with Frank today. Now you have to understand this is after about four years of dealing with Frank. 
And um, Frank said, Paul, I need to speak to you. And I said, Frank, I can't speak to you today because I've got friends from out of town. They're holding a seat for me at the restaurant. I tell you what, tomorrow's Monday. It's a national holiday. And because it's a national holiday, the church office is closed. You come back on Tuesday and I'll help you just like I always do. And he said, no, I need to speak to you today. And I said, Frank, I'm sorry. I don't have time. I've got guests from out of town. And I got in my car and I left. When I got home, one of my daughters was watching for me out of the parsonage window. And she immediately comes out of the house and she said, oh, daddy, I'm so glad you're home. This man came to the house today. He scared me. And I didn't know whether to open the door and talk to him or not. And I asked him what he wanted, and he said he wanted to speak to you, and I told him you weren't here. And um, I said, I know. His name is Frank. I told him to come back on Tuesday, and I'll help him like I always do. And we went on with our day. Next morning, on Monday morning, there's a knocking on the front door of the parsonage. And that knocking does not stop until I walk through the house and I get to the front door. And when I open the front door, there's Frank. And he said, Paul, I need to speak to you. And I said, Frank, come on into the parsonage. So he comes in and he sits down and he tells me, he said, I needed to tell you that um, my dad and I are trying to talk to one another. Uh, He doesn't know what to say to me. I don't know what to say to him, but at least we're calling one another. But the reason I had to see you today is that I have a new job in Emporia, Virginia. And he said, um, I've got to be at work first thing tomorrow morning. So I had to see you today. But the reason I came to talk to you is that I want you to know, and I'm going to tell you just like Frank said it to me, I have met Jesus and he has changed my life. That's just how simply he said it. I know we don't hear that kind of language when we talk about Jesus the way we did in the 1950s and the 1960s, the way the church talked about knowing Jesus in the same way. Our language has changed, but that's the language he used. And then he said, and the Holy Spirit has has told me that I need to give my tithe to our church. Now, do you hear the key word there? Our church And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a round roll of bills. I've never rolled mine like that. And he counts out his tithe, $1,468 and some odd cents. And that was his tithe. We prayed together and he left. When Sunday came and I was in my pulpit in Raleigh, I, I confessed before my congregation that Frank had shamed me. I had prejudged what Frank's life was like and I thought I had a front row seat on what his life was going to look like for the rest of his days on this earth and the old had passed away and behold the new had come right before my eyes the spirit of God had created a new thing and uh, then I told my congregation that not only had Frank shamed me I said but he has shamed our entire church because we come here week after week giving our little bit to help with missions and we have forgotten we are the mission to rescue the perishing to care for the dying to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave to weep o'er the erring ones to lift up the fallen like Frank tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. 
There's something powerful about the presence of the invisible God who is at present with us in this room just as he went through the locked doors of the upper room. He is alive. He is present, changing our lives, moving us from the providence of the past that protected us and brought us to this moment. Now preparing us, though it's harder to see in the present, preparing us for the unseen mystery that is still ahead. And that's why Paul said, and this is why we labor. This is why we work. This is why we toil. Many churches have so many rules and regulations. We've protected and saved our parlors and we've lost our children. The Great Commission calls us to baptize, to teach, to be obedient to God, to obey, because we know those who obey will go to baptize, to teach, who will be obedient because they will go to baptize. And that is the calling of the church, to lift up the fallen, to tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I'm so excited for sharing United Methodist Church. I'm thrilled about Dream Big for South Park. Not many churches anywhere in the United States have undertaken the complexity and the future that you do to make the wisdom, the vision, and the presence of Christ known in the world. And so what I would say to you is that I understand that the human heart is made in such a way that as the covered wagon rolls and pitch, some sat looking forward and some sat looking back. And this is the word of God for those of us who are the people of God. Let us all say, thanks be to God. Amen.